Hi everyone, my name is Ethan, and I will be giving the scripture reading for today. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 23, verses 44 to 49. Please follow along. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the woman who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The word of the Lord. Last Sunday, Pastor Paul touched on Luke 22, which records the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And I think of that where Jesus was actually physically present with his disciples, where now he is here with us in spirit. And, and it's exciting for me uh, to be here in physical presence with uh, a total of seven of us here on the facility, the church facility uh, going into a live streaming now, this next phase of our transition out of the pandemic. And so it's, it's great to be speaking to you live from Cornerstone Christian Church in Somerset. Well, I want to give us some context of uh, the text today. So after Jesus had this last meal with his disciples uh, in Luke 22, we're now in Luke 23, which we just heard read. And so after he had that meal, we know he went with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is where he uh, was betrayed by Judas, one of his 12 disciples that he had chosen. And he was betrayed to the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him. And so they arrested him and they questioned him and they brought him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman leader of that area. And ultimately he was uh, unjustly convicted and then sent to death, to be a death, uh, death on a cross. In our text today in Luke 23 now picks that up and reports the death of Jesus on the cross. So uh, the questions that this raises for us is why did Jesus have to die? Why is there death in the first place? And what did Jesus accomplish by his death? So we're going to be looking at these answers in the scriptures as we go through the sermon. And, and uh, just have a word of prayer before we jump in. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So some of you may be thinking, you know, these questions, uh, Jeff, are pretty basic, and I, I know this stuff already. And I want us to dwell on the death of Jesus today uh, more deeply, because I want us to allow this truth to shape us in how we live every day, every moment of every day, if it doesn't already. And just, you see, knowing this truth is meaningless if it doesn't transform us in how we then live every day, practically, from the inside out. So let's talk about death. I mean, it's not usually something we like to think about or talk about. Why? I mean, we hear about it all the time, 
right? On the news, we hear about the killings, uh, the shootings, and people dying from that in New York City, uh, all over the country, uh, and the world. And then there's the pandemic, right? Uh, The United States just uh, is what's now over 616,000 people who have died due to COVID-19. And worldwide, 3.8 million, more than that, uh, people have died that are now dead. And some of us know loved ones, uh, people we care about who have also died due to COVID-19. You see, death is painful for the living, and it destroys life and relationships. So why is there death? Why is there death? The leading cause of human death in developing countries is infectious disease. Developing countries. Those are countries that are what we would call maybe third world. The leading causes of in developed countries, or what we might refer to as first world, are heart disease, stroke, cancer, and other diseases related to obesity and just simply aging, you know, getting old. And people who die of these things in developed countries often have on their death certificate as the cause of their death, just saying death by natural causes. But death was not natural in the way that God originally designed the earth and the world and all that is within it. He designed it to last forever, uh, the heavens and the earth. And we see this truth in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 very clearly. And God also gave, we see, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, a choice. And that choice was to either eat uh, of the tree of life and live forever and obey God and trust him, or to eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil and disobey God's command not to eat of it and then die. And unfortunately for us and them, they chose to distrust God and die. And God warned them in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then after they ate from the tree, God said to Adam, whoops, let's go back. There we go. Oh, okay, not yet. I'm, I'm clicking too fast here. There we go. Okay. And God, God said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So you see, the rejection of God as ruler and commander of our lives is sin. This is what the scriptures define as sin. And, and uh, sin ushered in death and decay and destruction into this world. In, in a sense, sin, it just ushered in brokenness. And the apostle Paul restated this truth when he wrote to the church in Rome saying in Romans 5.12 and 6.23, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone's sin, for the wages of sin is death. You know, what we grapple with most in life is not the evil that is around us. It's the evil that is within us, that moves us toward the temptations of this world that lead us away from the Lord God. 
And we need more than help. We need rescue from this because we can't do for ourselves, uh, no matter how we tried, what we need somebody to do for us. And Genesis 6-5 clearly states this just a little further in Genesis. Uh, this all-inclusive internal struggle that we have with sin. Listen to what the Word of God says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now let this, these words sink in. This means that sin is more than just uh, what we do wrong or what we don't do that's right. It's at the core of our being. It's, sin infects every cell of the human heart and twists everything toward doing evil or whatever we do. It's twisted toward having some evil intent. And honestly, you and I struggle to believe this because we like to hold on to this delusion that we can have a pure desire, a pure intent. Um, but Proverbs, as Proverbs 16.2 again restates, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. He looks at our hearts and he sees the sinful nature of our hearts. Genesis 6.5 reveals our hearts and the sin at the very core of every thought, of every desire that you and I have. And why do people die? Well, Sin is the cause of death and decay and brokenness in this world. And sin is the reason why this world and the heavens are in this state of decay. But there is hope in the Lord Jesus. And that's why we follow him. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 20 and 21, saying, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, the hope spoken of here is on the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And I wanted to illustrate today the hope that we have in Jesus in a practical way using a simple drawing. And this drawing uh, is used to share the gospel in a way that hopefully is understandable. So it starts off that we live currently in this world that is full of brokenness, full of hurting people who then hurt others. And we try escaping this broken world in different ways. We try to work at it and make efforts to, by maybe focusing on our education, achieving good education or well, uh, good grades in that. Um, our career, our gaining wealth because we want financial security, or professional achievements. We want to have a good reputation, and we think that'll help us get out of brokenness. Or maybe we look for marriage or, or family. We find uh, that hopefully in family, or even we resort to drugs or even sex to find some kind of escape from this brokenness. But actually, all these things that we try to get out of this brokenness just simply leads us to more brokenness in our lives and in this world. And we can't escape this brokenness of this world and ourselves no matter how hard we try. This is the reality. So, but brokenness was not part of God's original design. God's original design for us 
and the world was perfect, like himself, and with no brokenness present. But each of us has rebelled against God and walked away from God's perfect design. And the Bible calls this sin when we reject his way. And sin leads us to brokenness and death. So God saw that we could not escape this brokenness on our own. And so God made a way for us to get out of this brokenness because he loves us so much. And that way is Jesus. And so God sent Jesus to earth and to live with us uh, as God in the flesh, to live the perfect life that had no sin. He did not sin uh, and because he was and is God. But then he suffered a horrible death on a cross to take the penalty of our sin on himself. But then he rose again proving that he has the power over death and that he is alive and well even today as Lord. So now Jesus calls all people to repent, which just simply means to turn from their brokenness and turn toward him in faith. And he also calls us to believe that he died for our sin and that God raised him from the dead as Lord and that now that when we place our faith in him, we will be forgiven and restored back to God's original design. So if we turn and believe in Christ Jesus, we then leave this world of brokenness and we are restored into, hold on, I got a little ahead of myself there, and restored into the relationship that God uh, has for us uh, and to pursue then the, the perfect design he will transform us into. And then lastly, more than that, God then sends us back into the world of brokenness to do and share this truth that we have discovered in Christ Jesus with others. You know, this illustration of the gospel is known as the three circles. And I have found it very helpful for me to just keep in my mind the process of the whole gospel, uh, of how to explain parts of it or the whole thing to people who don't know this truth and this good news of Jesus Christ, this truth that God, by his grace, has done for the people of this world because of his love for us in Christ Jesus. So why did Jesus have to die? Why did, what did his death accomplish for us? Listen again to our text now. You're probably wondering, when are we ever going to get to Luke 23? But our text in uh, verses 44 and 45 describe the situation immediately preceding Jesus' last words and his, and his death. He says there, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now this meant practically that from and in a sense, our way of saying it, noon to 3 p.m., uh, the sky was dark. I mean, it was in the middle of the day, but there was darkness. And it doesn't get into why. It just says it became dark. But then it, all three accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mention this fact that the temple curtain was torn in two. And then you see... Uh, this was the curtain that isolated the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's spirit and presence was said to reside, 
uh, from the rest of the temple. So there's this thick curtain that separated that. And only the high priest of the Jewish faith could enter this holy of holies, this room, once a year uh, to uh, go in and be in the presence of God. But then we hear here that this barrier was torn in two from top to bottom, uh, Mark says. And so it's just totally open then for people to see right inside and to enter without a barrier there. And this was a, a tangible way how Jesus' death opened the way for all people to now experience the presence of God that only the, really the high priest could do. And this is what one thing that Christ's death accomplished, to be in his presence. But now through faith in Jesus, we have God's Holy Spirit, God the Spirit dwelling within each of us. And we who follow Jesus now, in a sense, become the temple of God together where his Spirit dwells in our midst. So why did Jesus have to die well, we know it wasn't for committing any crime, and it wasn't because he simply ended up being a victim of injustice and being, you know, condemned uh, unjustly to death on a cross. No, it wasn't for his own sin, because he never sinned, and even the centurion who saw him die in our text said, you know, certainly this man was innocent. He was right there with Jesus, and the point here is that Jesus chose to die. He willingly gave up his life. And look at what Jesus prayed at the very end. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was an intentional act. And then it says, after having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus allowed evil people to crucify him. It was his intention. Jesus willingly gave up his life so that all people can have a way now to have, be a, in a relationship with God, the Almighty God, and, and a way to be rescued from our brokenness of this world and what sin has caused, and to be restored to God's design forever. Jesus' death on the cross was God himself in the flesh, God the Son, paying the penalty for our sins. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now last Sunday, Pastor Paul mentioned and spoke about how Jesus gave new meaning to the Passover meal uh, by identifying himself as the Passover lamb. Now we know this meal now as the Lord's Supper or communion, which we practice and observe regularly. But this image captures this substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. And for example, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he, uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus walk by, uh, remember what he proclaimed? He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is early in Jesus' ministry. And this image of the Lamb of God is a combination of the Passover lamb as well as the associated sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. And the Jews at that time would have been very familiar with these images. And, and it's this combination that Christ uh, has in what he accomplished in his death. For example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So to give us some background, when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, well, actually a thousand years before Christ, or more, actually 1,500 years around, uh, the last of the plagues that were sent upon the Egyptians was the death of every firstborn child in each family. And God told Pharaoh that he would send the angel of death to do this uh, throughout the land. And so the Israelites were included in this, but the Israelites were given specific instructions to sacrifice a one-year-old lamb without blemish and smear the blood on the door frames of their homes. And so that night when the Lord came to strike down the firstborn, he passed over the homes that were under the protection of this blood that was smeared on their door frames. And this blood then was a symbol of sacrificial death, a substitution. And now when the image of the Passover lamb is then combined with this substitutionary sacrifice of the Day of Atonement, it's a powerful image of what Christ accomplished in his death. So once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is known as in the Jewish circles as Yom Kippur, uh, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, like I mentioned earlier, in the temple where God's presence was said to dwell. And so no sinful human being could enter this, the presence of God, period, even the high priest. And so he was instructed to have take the blood of a sacrificed goat that was sacrificed on behalf of all the sins of Israel and the high priest himself and take that blood from that sacrifice and go into that room and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant or otherwise known as the mercy seat where God's presence hovered over. And this was to appease God's anger against the sins of his people. There's another substitutionary image here. And an equally powerful of this Day of Atonement was there was two goats. One was sacrificed and the blood used in the Holy of Holies. But then the other one was called the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay his hands on the goat's head and pray and confess the sins of the nation of Israel and then send that goat out into the wilderness alive. And as Leviticus says, the goat will carry on itself all their sins. You see, Jesus' death on the cross satisfied God's justice and purchased mercy for us. Justice demands that sin be paid for, period. As Christian author Greg Ogden has written, and I love this quote, dying on our behalf, Jesus died the death we deserve so that we could have mercy that we do not deserve. See, Jesus bore the penalty of God's justice for our sin. And then in that time when he was on the cross, he faced abandonment and isolation due to the break in fellowship that he had with God the Father because of the sin he bore on our behalf. Okay, so we've dealt with the death of Jesus and what his act of love and grace accomplished for all people. So what does this mean for your life and my life? What the so what question? Well, Jesus' death is the model for how we are to live every day in his name and for his glory. Listen to the teaching of Jesus now with all this in mind when he taught, saying, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Are we willing to lose our lives just as Jesus did 
in order to bring him glory? Jesus is not referring just to the moment of death, a physical death for us, uh, but also the death of our belief that our life is our own, to do whatever we want with. Get rid of that, but to live our life, because Jesus left the glory of heaven to take on flesh and live among us. That also was giving up his life for us on our behalf. You know, we have to give up this belief that our life is ours the way to live for the benefit of ourselves only and, and the benefit of our families. No, it is God's. It is in his hands. And when we as followers of Jesus dwell deeply on the death of Jesus, it is the model for how we are to live life. So this means we let go of everything for him. And, and using the words of Jesus on the cross, where he said, into your hands I commit. And then we just fill in the blank with everything in our life. Into your hands I commit, in general, my life, or my marriage, or my children. I give them over to you, or our families, or our friends, or our pursuit of professional success our successful career, or our pursuit of a husband or a wife, or our pursuit of good education, whatever it may be, we just say, into your hands I commit. Life is no longer ours because it belongs to Jesus. He purchased it by his death on the cross. When we think about it, he purchased our freedom, and we are his now if we truly follow him as his children in faith. So Jesus showed us the way to experience this real abundant life when we just look at his life on earth and how he lived. And we must first die and give up our life as he did and then truly trust in him to truly live our lives for him and his glory. There's an illustration of this. A missionary in Brazil served this native tribe in this remote part of the jungle and a contagious disease was ravaging the population of this tribe. And so the missionary determined that the only hope that for this tribe was to take them to the, a local hospital in another part of the jungle for treatment. But to reach this hospital, they had to cross this river. And that was a problem because uh, the river, when they got there, the tribe refused to cross because they thought and believed in their own thinking and beliefs that there were evil spirits that resided in the waters of this river. So the missionary explained to them how he had crossed the river multiple times and nothing has ever happened to him, but they still refused. They basically didn't care what, he, what had happened to him. They thought, what would happen to them? And so then next, he led them to the riverbank and he put his hand in the water to show them, hey, see, I'm still okay, um, but the people still too afraid. So then he walked out knee-deep into the water, and he splashed around, and the people still didn't budge. They weren't interested in going into the water. So finally, he turned around, facing the other bank of the river, and he dove in, and he swam underneath the surface until he got to the other side, and he rose up out of the water, and he walked up on the shore, and he punched his fist in the air like triumphant. And the people saw that, and they cheered, and then they all just ran into the water and swam across as well. This image, I love this image because it's like Jesus himself faced death and then he emerged on the other side of death, risen 
and new life. And he punched his fist in the air triumphantly and said, follow me. It's okay. Go ahead and die. Give your life to me because there is great life that I will give to you when you do so. Um, what is keeping us from following Jesus in our everyday life? What are we unwilling to give up, to put to death, so that we can be free to develop habits that will lead us and encourage us to live for him in everything we do? For example, do we have the habit of reading God's word regularly? And what are we holding on to that keeps us from doing this habit, from developing this habit? And think about what does keep us from doing that. And then pray these words into your hands. I commit whatever this is that's keeping me from reading your word daily. Because we can only know our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ by reading what he has preserved for us. That is God's word. Do we have the habit of, say, giving at least 10% of our income to the work of God all over this world? And if we're not in that habit, then what is keeping us from having and developing this habit? And we just, again, pray as we identify that. Lord, into your hands I commit whatever it is. Do we have the habit of praying regularly, depending on the Lord God for whatever it is in our lives? We pray about everything. When, if we see that we don't have this habit, what is holding us back? What is keeping us from doing that? And if just Say those words into your hands. I commit whatever it is. You know, do we have the habit of regularly sharing what we know of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with others to make disciples of all nations? If we're not doing that, then what's holding us back? Maybe we need to pray these into your hands. I commit my fear of rejection. Into your hands, I commit my, my insecurities in my life or my lack of social skills. Just Give it up to the Lord and commit it to him. If you and I are not daily denying ourselves and, and not living as if everything in our life is Jesus and his, and we're offering it up freely like he did on the cross, then we're actually holding on to our life as our own. And this is not following Jesus like he has called us to. So meditating on the death of Jesus as his followers, we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, when he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I, live, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we have heard this call to give up our lives, to deny ourselves, to let go and offer ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would well up in us who have faith in following you to do this and take action and say into your hands, I commit whatever it is that I'm holding on to that keeps me from having a habit of life that leads me to be a witness to you, to grow and mature in our walks with Christ, our Lord. And for those who are listening that are not yet convinced of your lordship, Lord, we pray that they would know that you are real, 
and what you have done and what your death means and has accomplished for them and all people. If only they would submit and give their lives up to you. May they come to faith today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.